Thank you. Good morning. Um, before I get into the sermon, anyone have a birthday this week? Anyone, any birthdays? T-Dog. Oh, look at you. Happy birthday to all of you. Oh, Mike Olson, 44. There we go. It is so good. Oh, won't you just stand up, Mike? Oh, look at you. The number eight. Okay, Terence, stand up. I wanted to honor Terence. We've got more. Oh, Tanya, all our faithful people. Okay, you Oaks, all stand up. Come, come. Stand up, stand up, stand up. I just wanted to honor Terence, but uh, he's refusing to stand up. Oh, look at you. Man, what was this week? Okay, there we go. I'm going to pray for them. Lord Jesus, I thank you for people who add so much life. Wherever they go, go Lord, they, they bring blessing. I honor them, and I ask God that this birthday will produce much fruit in your name. Amen. Amen. I just, whilst he's up here, this like Terrence, I, if there's one person in our church who is so for you and connecting you into spiritual family, it's Terrence. He is both colored and Indian, <laughs> which means he can reach any person in this congregation. And he will fight to get you into community. He has been building our church, and I want to honor you and say thank you, God, for giving you to us. Give him a hand. Now, we, we started our series last week on confidence, and I said that every week we're going to read this scripture. And then I went and had a, a lunch with, um, with a doctor. He's a pretty sharp doctor. And he said to me, he said, Russ, do you know what keeps your brain working? And then he, he started to list things. He said, one of the things is, is when, you, when you speak out in thanksgiving or praise, what you actually do is you light up aspects of your brain. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and speak out this scripture over the person you came with, maybe a stranger in front of you, maybe she's good looking and you're hoping something will happen. You can, you can just speak it out extra. And, uh, and so we're going to speak out this scripture. So can I invite you to stand and we're just going to read this. You're going to read with me. This is what the Lord says. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay, now you read with me. Don't copy me. Read with me. <laughs> Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. I noticed how you all kept quiet there. You didn't want to breathe that over, over each other. Just, just wait. It's getting good. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now turn to them and say, may you be a tree. There we go. Okay, well done. You can, you can grab a seat. In a pre-BC, before COVID, I, uh, I didn't want to be a tree. I wanted to be a Ferrari. I was... I, I had so many things that were going to happen before COVID. I, I don't know if you know this, but I was partnering with a guy to launch a bank, like a micro bank, but a, a bank still. 
his money, not mine, but uh, I, I was involved in so many things. I wanted to be a Ferrari. I just wanted to cause this to happen, business stuff to happen, churches to be planted, you to go do this. Like I was just making stuff happen. I wanted to be a Ferrari and then COVID happened and I got pruned and he has no money so we won't start a bank anymore. And, and I realized I don't want to be a Ferrari. I want to be a tree. I want to be a tree. I want to be a tree in my family that creates stability and shade and deep roots, that creates an ecosystem of love that my kids grow up in. And I want to be a tree in my workplace that covers over and brings shade to many and is able to, to bring those who are hurting and broken into a place of life that strengthens them. And I want to be, I want to be a, a tree with my friends. I want them to look at me and go, that is where stability is. He is so grounded in God that I can go to him and I will know that I will be safe and I can be strengthened. I want to be a tree in my road. I want people to know that that home is a safe home. There is wisdom in that home. God's presence exists in that home. And when my marriage is in trouble, I'll go to that home for wisdom. I want to be a tree. I want to provide shade. And I want you to be trees. You're going to go home. What did he preach about? He told me I must be a tree. But the, the catch in this, and we spoke about this last week, is, is in order to be a tree, you have to be confident in God. And we said there, there are multiple different confidences. You can have confidence in self. In fact, there are million-dollar industries built on self-confidence and building your self-confidence. The trouble is, as you get a little bit older, you, you realize that, that breaks. Confident, 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 bang, life. And we said that you can borrow confidence. You can get confidence from the people around you that they speak life into you and they encourage you or you get likes on social media or, or you know how to work your environment so that you get confidence from what's outside of you. But the problem with that kind of confidence is whatever you borrow, generally you have to pay back with interest and so you spend your life Whatever likes they give you, you have to do another one so that they keep liking you, and you have to keep working the environment so that it works for you, and you, you're constantly working, or you can have God confidence. Now, today, well, last week we spoke about where you get your confidence. Today, I want to I speak about how you get your confidence in God. Um, and, and what I realized, because I was, I was thinking about this, I realized that confidence is like a drug. I mean... When you are confident, uh, I'm a cricket player. When, when I had confidence, when I had swag, I mean, there, there are times on cricket when you just, you're like South Africa against India. You just, you come out and you know the Oaks bowling a cricket ball, but it looks like a soccer ball to you. You are just going to smoke him all over the show. You have swag, you look good, everything you do is good, and you just walk in confidence. Oh, to have swag. Some of you are looking so sad, you haven't had swag for a while. But when you have swag, it is just, it is so, so good. It's a drug. I was, I was thinking about this. And uh, last weekend, I came back from preaching. It was very funny. And uh, my little girl had, had her hands in milk, and she was crying. And I said, Gracie, why have you got your hands in milk? And she said, because I cut chilies up. Now, there's a backstory. So, um, I, I've got a, a mate who misplaced his confidence. So, we, we went on a boys' trip, and what goes on a boys' trip stays on a boys' trip. So, I won't tell you the names. But anyway, this guy decided it would be very, very fun 
to, um, to put a tiny bit of chili on everybody's coffee. So what happened is that the guys were coming in, they slept in or whatever, and, and he would say, would you, would you like a coffee? And then he'd make the coffee, put a little bit of chili on, and then pass it to you. Now, the problem with chili, if you've, if you've tasted raw chili, especially if you're white, if you're Indian, it doesn't count. But if you're white, <laughs> is, is you, you put the chili on your lip, and you, you start to feel a tingle, but you don't really know what's going on. And then, and then it warms up. And then it warms up a little bit more. And then you notice that everybody's looking at you, then you notice they're laughing. So this happened, person after person after person after person. And we were crying, laughing at each other. But, uh, but he was quite confident that he had gotten away with this. What he didn't know is that one of the guys on the trip had gone and found the chili, taken it, and found his clean underpants and put it <laughs> into his underpants. It was, it was just beautiful. What did you learn at church? How to prank people. <laughs> so he came home, obviously put all his dirty clothes in the wash. And uh, first day, everything's normal. Second day, everything's normal. Third day, he takes out these underpants. And he begins to feel a little tingling. <laughs> but over time, the, the tingling starts to heat up. And now he's starting to wonder, did something sting me? So he takes off his underpants, he's looking at his underpants, and he realizes there is chili in my underpants. And then what he decides to do, and Daryl, your name will remain anonymous, and what he decides to do is he, uh, he goes for a shower. But whilst he's showering, the temperature keeps going up. So he shouts for his wife to bring him, some of you are crying laughing, to bring him a bowl of milk that he can sit in. It's just great joy. <laughs> so my kids over the holidays are asking me for prank stories. And, and I have so many prank stories through the years. And uh, some of them would land me potentially in jail. But anyway, I'm telling them prank story after prank story. I tell them this prank story. And then my little girl goes to stay at my mate's house. And she tells my mate's daughter the story. So my mate's daughter goes, well, let's prank my dad. This would be brilliant. But they haven't thought this through. They're, they're learning. So my daughter cuts up the chilies with her hands, hence her hands on the milk. And anyway, the, the other girl, she pours the chili into the water, takes it to, to my mate, who wasn't born yesterday. He goes, why are you bring me water? Dad, we thought you would like some. He goes, you drink it, then I'll drink it. <laughs> so they, not knowing how hot it actually is, have two big glugs and heat up. And, and anyway, when I got home, there were tears everywhere, and it was carnage. Misplaced confidence will land you with no confidence. The church in Philippi, the Philippian church, has lost their confidence. And we know this because six times Paul tells them to be confident. He tells them why they should be confident. He, he wants them to learn a confidence in God. And uh, as you start to dig into the book of, of, the Philippian, of Philippians, you start to understand why they've lost their confidence. Firstly, Paul is in jail. In verse one, it says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, they're not just talking about their relationship with Jesus, they'll do whatever he says. They, they're talking about the fact that they're in jail. Slaves of Christ Jesus, 
And so what you realize is this Philippian church is a young church has lost their leader. And they don't think he's coming out. And then on top of that, it's not just that they're shaken by that. They're also shaken by the fact that Yudia and Syntek, some of their leaders, are fighting. And then on top of that, there are people who are coming in with a weird gospel. It's like the doom preacher. Like they, these, this gospel that you have to be circumcised, you have to obey the law, it's starting to enter into the church. So they are losing confidence in leadership, losing confidence in the message, and they're struggling. And so Paul writes to them, and he says this. It's Philippians 1 verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know what? The churches that Paul leads that he really likes. The Philippian church, he really likes. The Corinthian church, less so. He says, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you with all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the day, this day until now. And then he says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's doing. He goes, I know you guys are feeling all insecure and you've lost your confidence and you're worried about the future. So I'm not going to answer your problems. I'm just going to tell you why I'm confident. Now, I've asked a couple, Keegan and Claire, won't you come up? They've been married for four months. Give them a hand as they come up. For the sake of this operation, we may need you to take off your masks and face each other. And you're going to come over here. Now, I want you to stare. I mean, you've been married for four months, so just look at each other with love in your eyes. Can you do that? Yeah, there we go. Like you're getting married again. Okay. When the Bible talks about marriage, this is why marriage is so important. It says that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And, and so it says, husbands, they are getting married again. Look, the, the tears are going to flow. <laughs> husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit. Basically, trust your husbands. Be confident in your husband. Okay. Now, let me, let me tell you why. This is so beautiful. A mate of mine was doing a wedding. He, he used this analogy. Imagine she is the bride. She's you. And the father, pretend I'm the heavenly father. He comes along. And because she has put her confidence in Christ, the father begins a good work in her, in you. Now, the Father will keep doing a good work until the day that He takes her back. Here's, here's what's so important. Whilst she, whilst you, are looking into Christ, the Father is looking at His Son, and He's looking at the love in His eyes and because of the love in his eyes that have laid down their body, his body, for the church, the Father is doing a good work in her. So whilst you, whilst she is looking at Christ, the Father 
is doing good work to bring to completion what he has planned in her to bring her to his son. Paul goes, the reason I'm confident has got nothing to do with you. The reason I'm confident is because whilst you're looking at Jesus, God is doing something in you to make your good future complete so that you are ready for my son. That is unbelievably beautiful. You've got to know it has nothing to do with you. It is all about how the son looks at the bride. Stop crying. <laughs> now, this is what Satan wants to do. Brent, I need to borrow you. You're going to have to be Satan. Uh, you're a good-looking good guy. Uh, Satan knows that whilst she's staring into his eyes, she is becoming more like Christ, and God is doing better and better work. So Satan's entire plan is to keep throwing arrows and temptations and distractions. Here's, when Satan attacks your marriage, it's not because he wants your marriage. That's like admin. He doesn't want your marriage. He wants your confidence. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to dislodge her from here to get her focused on something other than Christ. To get her focused on the grass that's growing in all our freeways. <laughs> to get her focused on confidence in something other than Jesus. Because if he can dislodge her from focusing on Jesus, then he dislodges her from the Father who's doing a good work in her to bring to completion what Christ started. And so Satan will bruise, and he will lie, and he will tempt, and he will attack your marriage, and he will hurt you with thoughts, and he will bash you, and he will wear you down so that you stop focusing on Jesus and you start focusing on something else. And if you look at, you guys, okay, to just stay here for a little while. If you look at what's happened over the last little while, Satan has bashed and bruised and life has happened and, and the world has smashed us up. And what we began to do is first we were looking at self for confidence, and then we started to look for others for confidence. You know what we're looking for confidence in now? Place. Where can I live? Where I can raise kids? Where can I go? We've, we've moved from one thing to the next to the next because we're trying to find confidence because confidence is such an addictive drug. I need confidence in my life because when I got swag, it feels good. And so Satan is trying to bruise us. And this scripture is about Satan coming to Paul. And through a demonic attack, he chucks Paul in prison. And you would think that Paul would be dislodged from Christ, but Paul isn't. He's just relocated. But his eyes are still stuck on Jesus. In fact, it's a funny story. Because though the Philippians are living in homes, they are insecure and worried, whilst Paul is living in a prison 
and by the tone of his letter, he's full of joy and confidence. You see, everyone thinks lifestyle is based on where and what. Lifestyle is not based on externals. Lifestyle is based on internals. Paul is an internally good place and an externally bad place. And he has joy and confidence. They are in an externally good place and internally they're in a bad place. Don't try and solve your internal problem with an external change. Shift your heart to confidence in Jesus. So Paul, who is so fully aware that God, whilst I'm focused on Christ, God is doing a good thing inside of me. He's so fully aware that God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, that he writes this in verse 12. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news in jail. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Here's what he's saying. Satan put me in jail. I kept my eyes on him. And the result was that a palace guard of about 1,300 people all heard the gospel. And on top of that, the church there that couldn't have got boldness in any other way started to become bold because they saw my confidence. Here's what he's saying. There is no circumstance that your life could ever be put into that God doesn't have the solution for and the resources for and more than you think for. And if you will keep your eyes on him. He will make you into a tree. I'm going to let them go in a moment, but here's the thing. A tree in a forest is just another tree. A tree when everything in the world is going well is just a nice tree. Yeah. A tree when the world is a desert that is called an oasis. Paul is like an oasis. And here's what I was dreaming for whilst I was coming up with this preacher. I was dreaming that imagine you and you and you and you could be trees. And imagine we go into a bit of a drought over the next little while. I don't know if we will. Maybe we'll go into flood. But imagine we went into like really tough times where the roads, I know they don't bother you. But I grew up in a little town where the roads used to be tar and then grass began to grow and now they're dirt roads. Just making you a little bit scared. <laughs> Imagine you could be so unaffected by the headlines and the problems and all the things that your mates are saying because your eyes are so focused on Christ and so confident that the Father is doing a good work in you, that you walk around like a tree. And imagine we had trees all over this place. You know what we would be? Our own little forest that the world would come under to find shade. I want you to be that forest. Won't you give them a hand? Thank you so much. <laughs> Friends, I want you to know this. Whilst your eyes are fixed on Christ. He has solutions and love and presence and strength unimaginable. 
When you put your eyes on your circumstances, you have to solve your problems. But when the environment is changing in the way it is at the moment, and you're trying to solve your problems, you're going to lose confidence fast. But when the environment is changing and your eyes aren't on the environment, they're on the presence of God, they're on Jesus, you will wait for solutions to your problems and resources to your problems that will literally give you confidence that will make the world around you go, I want to be with them. Now, you're a smart bunch. You've got a little bit more in you. I'm just going to go a little bit further. This is Philippians 1. Philippians 3 Paul tells you how to have confidence. And he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not hard for me to say it again. He says, This will keep you safe. How many of you have been married for more than a year? You can't put your hands up, four months. <laughs> Tell me how well your marriage goes when you are finding how different they are to you. You ever go through the seasons of marriage where you just keep pointing out how different you are? You spend a lot on cosmetics. Wow, you spend a lot on sporting equipment. Man, you know how this goes, how different we are? It's called criticism. You know what it's like when you spend your life rejoicing? When, when I start my morning and I say, babe, you... You are honestly the best thing I've got going for me. And she responds with, I love the way you worship God. And I say, I'm so grateful for you because I think our, our kids would be in all kinds of worlds of pain if it wasn't for you. And she goes, no, you're a fantastic father. You know what's happening? We're rejoicing in each other. And when you begin to rejoice in each other, this thing grows with such strength that you just want to be around each other. And then you go have a tough day at work. You don't go, <gasps> before you come home, you go, <sighs> when you come home. Because you're rejoicing in one another. And Paul says this, if you want to stay safe, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know how my quiet time starts? It starts with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you've done. But I can never thank him for the same thing. It's my rule. So every time I start with Thanksgiving, I start with something new. Thank you for my garden. Thank you for the surf I had. Thank you for this person that I met. Thank you, God, for the way my son said this. Thank you, God, for the way my daughter ate the chilies. I, I just go, I keep thanking God, thanking, th thanking. What thanking God does for me is it shifts my perspective. It begins to make me aware of what he has done. I then begin to praise Thanksgiving is for what God has done. Praise is for who he is. So I start to write, you are wisdom itself for me. You father me. You care for me. And I begin to write these things, and I write them down, and you would think I'd run out of words, but I never do. And once I've praised him, now I am confident in him. And now I begin to pray for things. Paul is so confident in God because he rejoices always. And then he says these words. He says, in your confidence, have no confidence in the flesh. Have none. 
And he starts this kind of weird thing. You, you know when you tell a story and then someone tells a better story and then you tell a better story? He starts this like one-upmanship. He goes like, I don't want to do this, but I, if you're forcing me to do this, I'll do this. And, and, and it's very weird because he starts with, if you have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. And he, got, and he starts with circumcision, which is like my circumcision's better than yours. That's kind of how it starts. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What he's saying is you were probably not. You were brought in late. You didn't get it on time. You're secondary. And then he goes, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was born into the right family. I got the right connections. And then he begins to boast of the fact that unto the law, blameless. He, he starts to boast about his education that he was chosen by Galileo. He, he says this later. He was chosen by the most important rabbi of the day. He, he basically didn't go to Tux. He went to UCT. He, he keeps boasting about this and then that and then that. And he's going, when it comes to the flesh, I kill you. I'm better than you. But I count it all as nothing for the sake of knowing Christ. And then he says, for my righteousness does not come from the law, it comes from Jesus. Because if they were up here again, her righteousness, the reason that God works in her life, the reason that God is going to give her solutions, the reason that God is going to bless her, is not based on her performance. It's based on his look into her eyes. Because the Heavenly Father is looking at Jesus when he's thinking about you. And his entire focus is on how the Son loves you and died for you. Now, church, over the next few weeks, we're doing a few things. We release a, a, a little, I don't know what it's called, a little Bible study every morning. There is a word, and I've lost it, for you to study. Thank you, devotional. Thank you, sound person. You could have silenced me. We've, we've got a, a devotional every morning. We've got life groups every week. And the reason that we've put this whole series together really is because I just had one too many conversations with one too many people about why they were leaving the country. And I don't really have an issue with people leaving the country. I just want to make sure that your confidence is in the right place. And so, so I decided we are going to give you every single tool we possibly can to help you grow your confidence. And so in life groups, one, we want to get you into life group, but two, we want you to grow in confidence in God in your life group so we've got content going out there. And in this next season, we're going to preach and preach and preach this message until we feel like we've got trees who are not looking at headlines, but looking at Jesus so that they will be confident, so that they will provide shade because our city needs it. I pray that your confidence will not be in your flesh. It won't be borrowed, but it will be completely in Jesus Christ. May God bless you. Please join us for coffee. Lovely being with you. Have a great day.